By his stripes we are healed by his name.
All my life you have been so, so good With every breath that I am made I will sing of the goodness of God Your goodness Your goodness is running after Is running after me Surrender now, I give you everything. Your goodness is running after, is running after me. Good morning to those who are also joining on our live stream um, or enjoying this recording at some point in the future. Welcome. We're so glad you're here. Um, for those of you who don't know, my name is Joel. I'm one of the elders here in Emmanuel. And uh, I wanted to take this moment to thank Pastor Daniel for going on vacation <laughs> and entrusting the pulpit to me this morning as he, Alexandra, and the kids are on a much-needed and much-deserved vacation. Thank you, Phil, for praying for them this morning. I'll be continuing the, our summer uh, sermon series on God, life, and our expectations. Today, we're going to focus on the fun topic of expectations in marriage. Now, before you all react, just know that I will be preaching from some scripture that is the absolute easiest pill to swallow. Now, I say that mostly in jest. Um, because on the surface, there are some words and phrases that may have been misconstrued in the past, irresponsibly overemphasized or outright ignored by some Christians in the past that may have already influenced some biases, especially through the lens of today's social constructs. But I'm here to tell you that the Word of God is good. It is love. And it is absolute truth. And the truth is that we're, what we're digging into today is more than just the roles of husbands and wives, but a brilliant masterpiece depicting the relationship between Christ and his bride, the church. It's you. It's me. Us. All of us who call on his name. So our scripture reading this morning is in Ephesians chapter 5. Verses 22 to 33. So turn with me, if you will, 
to Ephesians chapter 5. If you're using the Red Pew Bible in the uh, little pocket right there in front of you, that's on page 1,159. If you're um, happening to also be using a Schofield Study System NIV 84 edition, it's on page 1,555. If you're using version on your phone, just tap on it. You know the drill. All right. So everybody there? All right. It says this, Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In this same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself after all, no one ever hated his own body, but he feeds and cares for it, just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I am talking about Christ and the church. However, each, of you, uh, each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you for the life that it speaks. Lord, I ask that you will open our hearts to receive your message this morning. Lord, I um, pray that you will supersede my human frailty and that whatever meaning you're your children are to, to gain from this, um, that they will receive it, that you will speak to the hearts of those in, uh, here today. Amen. All right, we're going to take a few minutes to really unpack this, but we need to establish our theme here. The sermon is entitled Expectations in Marriage. Though there are a lot of words here, there are some instructions for wives and even more instructions for husbands. I'll admit, sometimes us husbands really need to have things spelled out for us. And even then, well, I'm not going to go there right now. But at the end of it all, what should our expectations of marriage be? If you don't get anything else out of these words that are coming out of my mouth this morning, get this. Our expectation should be that our marriages are modeled after Christ's relationship with the church. Full stop. That's it. I've given it all away right up front. But don't tune me out for the next indeterminate number of minutes because we're really going to discover just what that looks like. While the bulk of this message is focused on the marriage relationship, know that many of the themes and concepts that we're going to be discussing today apply to all kinds of relationships, from friends to family members beyond one's spouse, even to work relationships. 
Our marriages are a testimony to the gospel of Christ and reflect the beauty of God's grace and mercy. Another way of looking at it is from the perspective of Christ, who, in his infinite holiness, being the pure and spotless lamb, sacrificed himself and died a horrific thieves' death on a cross, then resurrected after the third day so that we might be free from the bondage of sin and death and wrapped in a white robe of righteousness. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Then he calls us his bride. It's alluded to in the scripture we read earlier in verses 25 to 27, but we can skip ahead in the Bible to Revelation 19, 7 through 8, where we read, Then I heard what sounded like a great multitude, like the roar of rushing waters, and like loud peals of thunder, shouting, Hallelujah! For our Lord God Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory, for the wedding of the Lamb, that's Jesus, has come, and his bride, his church, has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean, has given her, uh, was given her to wear. Whew. All right. Back to our scripture for today. Now, there's a wee elephant in the room that needs to be let out. Let's flip back to the beginning of today's scripture, verses 22 through 25. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. This is the paragraph that usually gets a bum rap. Being subject or submitting to another person is an often misunderstood concept. It doesn't mean becoming a doormat. Christ, at whose name every knee will bow, of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, that's Philippians 2.10, subjected his will to the Father, and we honor Christ by following his example. When we subject ourselves to God, we become more willing to obey his command and to submit to others, that is, to be to, to subordinate our rights to theirs. In a marriage relationship, both the husband and the wife are called to be subject to one another in different ways, and I'll touch on that a little bit later. For the wife, these, this means willingly following her husband's leadership in Christ. As we'll continue to learn as we break down these responsibilities assigned to the husband, there is much more than a fine line between dictatorial control and true biblical leadership. One could even look at this through the lens of the workplace. For example, I like to think that I have a phenomenal relationship with my direct supervisor at work. We support each other. We look out for each other. We even provide each other feedback so that we can continue to grow in our roles. But at the end of the day, I trust him and I submit to his leadership. All right, back to marriage. To fully understand what's going on here, we need to look at the original Greek. Oh yes, I'm going there. 
I'm going to challenge somebody's theology today by going back to the original Greek that this letter was written in. Paul's letter to the Ephesians was written in Greek, so we should do our due diligence to understand both the words and the sentence structure that's used. Did you know that in the original Greek, the word submit, as it was related to wives, was actually not present in verses 22 and 24? It was likely added by early scholars or translators for readability, as it was inferred based on its surrounding text. And where submit refers to the church submitting to Christ was the Greek word, I'm going to butcher this, hypotacitai, which means subject, subordinate, citizenship. We also have to start this sentence in verse 18, which is before where we started. In the original version of this passage, verses 18 through 23 are all one sentence, all one thought. It all works together. My uh, New American Standard Bible at home breaks it up into two sentences. Um, the first ending in verse 21. My, my NIV breaks it up into six sentences. Okay, time out. This is why having multiple uh, translations of the Bible is really handy. The NIV is great because it's, it's very readable. It's easy to read. The NASB is sometimes very difficult to read, but is typically truer to the OG languages. So, better for study. Use one to support or complement the other. All right, time in. All right, verses 18 through 21 are part of a section of Ephesians 5 that some translations, like the NASB, title, Be Imitators of God. Or the NIV, starting with verse 18, The Inner Life of the Spirit-Filled Believer. So let's, let's listen to this again in a way that more closely resembles how Paul may have actually written it. This is from the Greek New Testament, so bear with me if it doesn't align exactly with what you're reading in your Bible, starting in verse 18. And do not be drunk with wine, which is dissipation or debauchery, but be filled by the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and singing praise in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to the God and Father being subject to one another out of reverence for Christ, wives to their own husbands as to the Lord. Because the husband is the head of the wife and also Christ is the head of the church, he himself being the savior of the body, period. All of that was all one thought from Paul. So what does wives being subject to their husbands actually look like? It looks exactly like how we're all supposed to be subject to Christ, living as a spirit-filled believer. So verse 18 is um, quite a reasonable instruction. Um, you know, don't be drunk with wine, which leads to debauchery, but instead be filled with the Holy Spirit. Um, what is debauchery? Merriam-Webster defines debauchery as extreme indulgence in bodily pleasures and especially sexual pleasures, uh, drugs, alcohol, all those things that would be considered immoral. So, okay, let, let's, let's put this in, in regular terms here. Don't put yourself in a position to sin against God and your husband. Easy. Instead, be filled by the Spirit. Okay, all right, so maybe that's not so easy, but it's reasonable. 
It's a reasonable expectation of all of us. Speak life to him. Be thankful for him. Be subject to him out of reverence for Christ. I'm reminded of last week when Pastor Daniel was referring to the book of Daniel, um, and, and uh, he didn't mention it quite so much last week, but it, but it applies here, what biblical submission looks like. Um, if you were here last week or heard the sermon online, um, he referenced uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who submitted to the law of the land, to, submitted to their king, Nebuchadnezzar, until Nebuchadnezzar required them to sin. And I think that's kind of the, the model that we should be looking at here is, yeah, wives, you are subject to your husbands so long as it doesn't lead you to sin. All right. Let's take a look at a few instructions for the husband because they are many and they are heavy. Verses 25 to 33 are essentially all instructions for the husband. I'm going to focus mainly on verses 25 through 28. Husbands, love your wives. Uh, the word love that is used here is the agape love. It's not just, the, it's not the physical love. It's not just the, ad, you know, the admiration. It's the selfless, I'm going to put you before me love. Just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In this way, husbands ought to love their wives as themselves. When I first read verse 25, preparing for this morning, my mind went straight to Luke 9.23 that says, Then he said to them, this is Jesus talking, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Husbands are called to deny themselves for the well-being of their wives. That doesn't sound like the quality of somebody who's trying to keep their wife under their thumb. Husbands are called to set aside their own best interests for those of his wife. All right, real-world example here. Um, this doesn't mean that, husbands, you give up on your hobbies, so to speak. Um, it means always having your wife's best interest at heart first. Oftentimes, uh, uh, my, my wife, Amanda, and I have had this conversation where I'm like, you know, I think I'm going to sell my motorcycle. It's just sitting in the garage. I've, I've ridden it once, to, once in the last month. Um, and, and I'm sure, you know, we could, we could use that to fund something else. And, and her response usually every time is, But it's paid off. It's not, it's not hurting us by you having it. And quite frankly, I don't want to deal with you belly aching for not having it. All right, so I'm thinking for my, you know, her best interests to not have to put up with me belly aching. But the thing is, is that when push comes to shove, I will sell that thing in a heartbeat if it meant my family and my wife's well-being first. The point is, husbands, sacrifice what you must to put your wife first. Then don't bellyache about it. 
But more importantly, when I think about best interests, I think about Psalms 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not be in want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me on paths of righteousness. God, am I doing marriage right? Husbands, you should be asking that every day, every minute. Am I daily taking up my cross and setting aside my own best interests to lead my wife down a path of righteousness? To provide her green pastures and quiet waters along the way to restore her soul so she won't be left in want? I need some water. Speaking of which. The world may be saying that you don't need traditional family structures and that you can and should provide for your own pastors, but God has and has always had a better way in mind than anything we could come up with in our arrogance. A way that allows a husband and wife to selflessly serve each other, each in their own way, That's what I was alluding to er earlier when I mentioned that the husband and wife are subject to each other. Verse 33 summarizes it perfectly. However, each one of you, talking to husbands, also must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. You are indeed in service to each other in your own unique way. Young men who might be listening, This is the high calling of a husband. Get used to it. (laughs) Young women, this is the high calling of a wife. Embrace it. Young men, this is the husband that you should be striving to be. Start practicing today. The other interesting thing about this is that it is 100% entirely, unequivocally, unconditional. So we've seen that man is the spiritual head of the family and his wife should acknowledge his leadership. But real spiritual leadership involves service. Just as Christ served the disciples even to the point of washing their feet, so the husband is to serve his wife. A wise and Christ-honoring husband will not take advantage of his leadership role. And a wise and Christ-honoring wife will not try to undermine her husband's leadership. Either approach causes disunity and dysfunction in the marriage. But here's the rub. Husbands and wives must embrace these roles even if their spouse is not. You heard it right. Nowhere in here does it qualify the instructions to the husbands with, as long as your wife is submitting to you. Or to the wives, as long as your husband is a spiritual leader. No. If the husband is living in sin and focusing on building his own pastures, then wives are still called to be subject to them out of reverence to Christ, eschewing sin, speaking words of life to the husband, and being thankful for him. 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18 still applies here. Be joyful always. Pray continually for him. (laughs) Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. So don't go looking for answers 
or a place to vent in moms of Instagram or Twitter. Those places will lead you to paths of destruction. Likewise, if the wife is backsliding and not submitting to the husband's leadership, he must continue to put her best interests before his own. He still has a responsibility too, as 525 to 28 says, love her and give yourselves up for her. In all matters of the, of the term, give yourself up for her. Your own best interests, your own life. Make her holy. Shower her with the word. Present her as holy as, and blameless. Remain faithful. This is aligned with some of Paul's other teachings on marriage, like in 1 Corinthians 7, uh, 12 to 16. You don't have to turn there. I'm going to paraphrase it for you, where if a man or a woman has a wife or husband, respectively, who is an unbeliever, that's not a reason to divorce. The unbelieving husband has been sanctified through his wife and vice versa. Then he caps it off with this question, if you divorce, then how do you know whether you will save your husband or wife? Could you imagine if Christ left the church because of its unbelief? The point is, you pursue each other. Christ himself said in Luke 19, 9 and 10, after bringing Zacchaeus, the infamously unscrupulous tax collector, to saving faith. It says, today salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and save what was lost. So no matter what your marriage role is, you pursue your husband or wife. There are myriad examples of Christ pursuing the lost. This whole book, this whole book, from page one in the beginning to the very last page, amen, right before the table of weights and measures, is the story of the Holy One pursuing us. All 1,500 some odd pages of it, depending on which kind of Bible you have. And in the end, for those who confess with their mouths that Jesus is Lord and believe in their hearts that God raised, them, uh, raised him from the dead, they will become with, one with Christ as his bride in the age to come. And as I'm coming to the, uh, a close here, I'd like to call the worship team back up. Um, and while they're coming, there, there's one last theme. Well, actually, there's, there's so many. I, we, could, we could talk about this for days. But there's, there's something to be said for unity here. Speaking of oneness, uh, when Christ honoring husbands and wives serve each other in this way, in accordance to the word, it says in verse 31, for this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound uh, mystery, but I'm talking about Christ in the church. So, what should our expectations of marriage be? What should our expectations of our relationships be? No matter what kind of relationship we're talking about, a marriage relationship, the family, the friend. 
Our expectation should be that our marriage and relationships are modeled after Christ's relationship with the church. You stuck with me to the end. Thank you. And it wasn't as painful as I thought. (laughs) Our marriages are a testimony to the gospel of Christ, a reflection of his beauty. If you don't know this Jesus Christ who paid it all so that you may be free, then maybe today's the day that you'll answer that call and call upon his name. It's no accident that you're here today. Whether you know it or not, God has ordered your steps, the steps that brought you here. So if that's, if that's you today, um, even as the, the worship team is playing and, and afterwards, please come up. The elders will be here to pray with you or tap on the shoulder of the person next to you and say, hey, can you tell me more? But don't let this time pass you by. Or perhaps you're facing challenges with your relationships, serving others as Christ served. This altar is open for you to come and pray. Let God realign your heart with his.